What's up, Ohioverse listeners, and welcome back to another episode. As always, I'm your host, Nick, and I'm going to be joined by Greg tonight. We're going to kind of go over some big topics here within Ohio. Obviously, as always, we hit our college football talk until the season, and I guess you can talk about bowl games and playoffs are over. We're going to kind of break down the Utah versus Ohio State game, and then the big game of the week, which is going to be Alabama versus Cincinnati. And then we're going to kind of talk about the Browns and the Bengals and where they're at this season and where they need to go. And then we're going to kind of get a little bit deep in the talk with COVID and how it's affected the Blue Jackets, you know, hot start to this season, especially considering where we thought they might be. And then we're going to talk a little bit of trade deadline rumors with the Cavs and then some devastating injury news to a key player. For the first topic, I did want to break down the Utah versus Ohio State game, which is going to be one of the New Year's Six Bowls. So I'll let Greg go ahead and uh, take this one. I think really statistically, this is going to go uh, Ohio State's offense versus Utah's defense. Utah's defense is legit. And statistically, if you look at it, it's going to be the best unit that Ohio State has faced uh, all year. I think they're ranked 11th in the country in team defense. And that's one spot ahead of Michigan, who is ranked 12th. So it's really going to come down to the key players on offense for Ohio State, the key players on defense for Utah. C.J. Stroud, he's thrown 70% of his passes, uh, a little over uh, 3,800 yards, 38 touchdowns. You've got Trayvon Henderson, 1,172 yards, 15 touchdowns. Um, Jackson Smith it leads all Ohio State receivers with 1,259 receiving yards. So then, but you look at Utah's defense, you've got Devin Lloyd, 107 tackles, 22 tackles for loss, and four interceptions, which are all team highs for Utah. You got Micah Tafu, which has got 47 tackles, 13 tackles for loss. And then you got Nethi Sewell, he's second on the team in tackles behind Lloyd, with 81 total on the season to go alongside his uh, seven and a half tackles for loss and one interception and a forced fumble. I think this is going to be a game that if the coaching on the Utah side has done what they're supposed to do, I think they might be able to shut down Ohio State or at least limit them to uh, an explosive run of points. So we're really going to see what's going on. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that it's going to be their defense versus our offense. Because um, obviously when you look at Ohio State's offense, they're, they're ranked number one in yards per game and number one in points per game in the nation. So with yards, they, they're about like 550 yards per game, points 45 and a half points per game. When you look at Utah's defense, like you said, overall, they're like, you think you said the 11th best defense in the country. And they do have a total of 41 sacks, which is good for number seven in the country as well. So, you know, CJ Stroud is going to be, this is going to be his like hardest, you know, I think defense that he's going to play against. I don't think that their passing defense is as good as their um, rush defense, but they're pretty pretty good overall defense. The one thing that I'll say Utah is probably going to give Ohio State's fits with is that Utah's rushing attack is number nine in the country. They had about 2,800 yards rushing and 35 total rushing touchdowns. And Ohio State has been really bad stopping the run this year against teams. I mean, you saw it against Michigan. You saw it against Oregon to start off the season. And I think that they really need to figure that out before going in this game against Utah because if Utah just pounds the rock up the middle, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop them. And time of possession is super big, especially in a game when you don't normally play a team that much and you're really kind of just going off of tape. So they're going to really need to hit the big plays in the pass game 
and they're going to need to really try to focus on time of possession. But because Utah could be a team that could give them fits and um, could win this game. So I think it's going to be a lot closer than what people think. Well, you talked about you know Ohio State having the number one offense in the country, but that was with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who were both out yeah. uh, and opted in favor of the NFL draft. So you've got two key players that are not going to be part of your your offense out mm-hmm. for the game. Yeah, that's going to so, be really rough. So, when I heard that, it was like, that's that's going to be rough. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think – I still think it's going to be a close game, you know what I mean, because uh, Jackson Smith, he he is the, the wide receiver of the future there. I think next year he's going to have a really big year, and I think it will be cool to see some of the younger talent that we haven't got to see much of. Obviously, we're still going to get to see Henderson, and hopefully he has a little bit bigger of a game because, you know, it, Ohio State is only ranked 48th in rushing. So – it's not all on him. I think he was really the only rusher that they had this year. When you look at Utah, they had like three or four guys that were, I think, up over at least 300 yards and one guy that was over 1,000. So obviously they're spreading the ball around a little bit much. Obviously they're spreading the ball around a little bit more in that department. But yeah, without Alave and without Wilson, that's going to be hard. But I think it's going to be a close game. I don't know if we see a super high scoring game. I think maybe like a 28 32 kind of game and I think Ohio I, I'm gonna go with Ohio State squeaking it out but I still think there's a possibility that Utah sneaks a win on this one what do you think yeah I think I mean I think Utah wins this one I sad to say you know I'm always an Ohio State fan but I think that their defense is, is gonna rue uh, the mm-hmm. day on the particular yeah defense and run game time of possession is huge especially in a game like this so and I think they said um I heard a stat that there was like over 60,000 tickets sold to Utah fans and only a little bit over 30,000 uh, tickets sold to Ohio State fans. That might have changed over the past like week since I heard it, but it's basically going to be like a home game for Utah. So that'll be that might make a difference as but to move on to obviously a bigger game, which is going to be the playoff game. And the other team in Ohio that is playing on New Year's Day is going to be Cincinnati versus Alabama. And again, I kind of wanted to break down this game. I think we did it in the last episode, but as we get closer and things have started to, you know, develop and change, whether that's with injuries or COVID, um, I kind of wanted to get Greg's opinion on how he thinks this game is going to go, or on Saturday, I should say. I think the early betting line is Alabama by two touchdowns, but I know I've discussed this before. I think that Cincinnati is going to shock a lot of people. I know I've brought this up a lot, and I don't care what people say, but Cincinnati was one field goal away from beating Georgia last year. And I think that that same momentum can carry them through to this game. The team's defense is at the top of college football. Alabama is ranked eighth, Cincinnati seventh, both units giving up around 305 yards a game. So the tide like Cincinnati has struggled at times on the offensive front as well. A handful of games, the Auburn game, the LSU game that come to mind where either Bryce Young just looked average. So, this might be one of those games that he possibly looked average and we could see Cincinnati actually beat them and go on to the national championship to face Michigan. You're still stuck on Michigan moving on. <laughs> I, um, I know, I know some Ohio state fans. I know this is Ohio verse, but I just think that everything is in Michigan's favor to win this national championship. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I agree with you on that one. I think it's definitely going to be a defensive battle. I think that 
Georgia is kind of licking their wounds after Alabama laid a ton of points on them. But I think that, yeah, (laughs) but Michigan's offense, unfortunately, is is just not that explosive. I think, unfortunately, when they played Ohio State and you look at an Ohio State team where their defense is not really that good, you know, they're number 52 and yards allowed per game and, and number 26 in points allowed per game. So, they um they, they are not a good defense. They haven't been a good defense for the past couple of years, and especially against the run. And that's and they ran the ball all over them. But I do think they run into a Georgia team that is just that has a really good defense. And I think this could be a, a boring game that we see maybe end in like a 21, maybe 14 kind of game or something like that. But we're not breaking down this game. We're gonna break down Alabama versus Cincinnati. And I agree with you that I think Cincinnati is going to sneak up on a lot of people. I don't think they're giving them enough credit. And I think that they're going to play into that under underdog mentality super well. Um, offensively, they haven't been um, like they haven't looked as good as Alabama during the season. Obviously, when you look at Alabama, they're number six in yards, number four in total points per game number five in total passing yards and then Cincinnati on the other side is number 46 in total yards number eight in total points um so obviously the the points are good but when you look at passing yards are number 40 and rushing yards are number 43 now they do beat Alabama in rushing yards because Alabama is number 76 in rushing yards on the season but when you look at both their defenses it's pretty much it's pretty much even so I think Cincinnati's number seven in yards allowed and number five in points allowed and Alabama's number eight in yards allowed and number 20 in points allowed. So they're pretty even defenses. I think, like I said, it's going to be time of possession. If Cincinnati can keep Alabama off the field and then Cincinnati can try to stay on the field and keep the ball out of, you know, Young's hands as much as possible. um, I think that they do have a pretty good chance of winning this game, but again, it's going to be a, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be them versus the world because I, I think that Alabama is probably the best team in the playoff right now. Um, I think that they're probably the most well-rounded team when it comes to offense and defense. So Cincinnati has a big uphill battle, but I do think it's possible for them to get it done. They're just going to have to control time of possession. But anything else you want to add to that? I mean, it's it's really about the consistency with, with Alabama. And who's going to show up? They, you know, if the t- same team that shows up in the Iron Bowl shows up, the Bearcats might be just in business and be, might be able to to win out. And I, again, I'm say what you want about Bryce Young. I just I didn't see a Heisman caliber. Performance. I didn't see a Heisman caliber performance from a lot of people this year. Um, and he, I think he just happened to have just a slight edge, but he had some some horrible games that they barely squeaked out and won. You know, that, that overtime game was just, it was garbage. It was a hot garbage mess that they just happened to win. So I, I'm not on board with how well people say Alabama is. Nick Saban, great coach, and he'll go down in history as one of the greatest college coaches of all time. I just don't think this this team be the one that another national championship. I can agree with you that no one's really wowed me this year. I think it's been more of like team game this year for some reason like we haven't had somebody who stood out and you're like wow that's a dude you know what I mean I think going into this draft you're like there's just a lot of solid you know starters and I think that maybe a lot of these guys are going to have to develop Um, I think if you look at the Cincinnati secondary though that's there's a lot of guys that are probably going to go in the first two or three rounds from that secondary so 
that'll be pretty impressive. But to kind of segue into the next topic on Cincinnati, I did want to talk about somebody in their secondary by the name of Kobe Bryant. So a story came out, I think it was maybe today or the day before, yesterday. And Cincinnati's DB, Kobe Bryant, is changing his number to number eight in honor of the late great Kobe Bryant, who played basketball. Um, his reasoning behind it was that his parents actually named him after Kobe Bryant, and he you know, obviously chose football as his passion to play. So he is changing his number to kind of channel his inner Mamba mentality and hopefully beat what people view as probably the best team in college football at this point. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's cool? Do you think that's interesting? Maybe do you think people are putting too much stock into it? What do you think? I love it, especially when you just see how amazing of an individual Kobe Bryant was, not only as a basketball player, is probably in my mind the top in the top five of basketball players of all time, but just his off the court aspects of who he was just as a person and what he gave back to the community, what he gave back to the kids. It was just a, a horrendous, horrible loss that, that the sporting world lost, not just basketball, but the sporting world lost when Kobe Bryant uh, tragically died. And so I think it's maybe a little different in basketball and the NBA. If you've got some, somebody that wants to wear that number and it's like, well, hold it a little bit. This is, you know, this was a Kobe thing and this is maybe the the Lakers and we'll, we'll go, go, you know, pump the brakes on that. But for somebody in football or hockey or all these other things that to do that, you know, baseball by all means, like please honor, you know, the Mamba as much as you can. He was a phenomenal individual and he deserves all the, jubilation and accreditation and all that stuff that, that that is thrown upon him you know god rest his soul i don't think i can say it any better you know i 100 agree i think that this is an awesome thing and for him to be able to to get this done for this game i think that that's huge you know what i mean i think if cincinnati moves on to you know the championship game i don't think that the next game is going to be any any bigger than this game i don't think that you know, he will play any bigger game in his college career than than this game right here against Alabama. Like I said, against, you know, one of the best teams in college football. And then, like you said, one of the best coaches to ever coach in college football. And I think to to do that, to honor, you know, somebody that his parents named him after to kind of play a game and, and tribute that to him. I think that Kobe Bryant's legacy just doesn't live in basketball. Like you said, it, it lives in everything, everything and anything that, that you do in life. Um, he, I think you can take his mindset and apply that, be successful. Yeah, that's, that's a really good, like, I don't want to call it a feel-good story, but <laughs> almost like a feel-good story. And, and I really hope that, that he goes out there and he plays his ass off and, and they win that game because I, I am uh, becoming a Cincinnati fan for the weekend. So, <laughs> But to move on to the NFL, before we talk about the professional team that is in the same city as the Cincinnati Bearcats, I did want to kind of talk about the Browns first, which is about, I would say, four hours north. And I wanted to get Greg's opinion on what the three things the Browns should do this coming offseason to kind of get back to the playoffs. Obviously, there's still a window open for them at this point. I just think that they're a little too banged up and there's a little too many people on COVID protocol for them to kind of come back from it. But they do have a game against the Steelers this week. And the way the Steelers look, I think that they could lose to just about anybody. So there is still that window, obviously. But 
I just kind of think that they need a little bit more in order to get back to the playoffs and be a playoff team consistently. So what are three things for you that they should? Well, first off, statistically, they are not out of the race and there are a couple avenues in which they could possibly get into the playoffs this year. But if we're talking about next year and what they're going to be able to do next year, I think they need to get Baker Mayfield back on track. I don't know if that's health. I don't know if that is mental. Uh, Obviously, he's not made a big case for himself to possibly get another big payday and and come out uh, with a contract at the end of next season or at the end of this season. So, you know, him might be going somewhere else. I don't see that going him going anywhere else. So I think they need to get him back on track. Secondly, they need to figure out defense. Miles Garrett can't do it all by himself. That's just you know they're they're putting the allowing too many points on them, and their offense can only do so much. And then number one thing they can do is they need to be consistent with beating their division rival. You know, they lost to the Browns in week eight. You know, then they whoop up on the Bengals. That's just, there's just a lot of things that they need to solidify themselves to say, hey, we're the ones in charge of this division. Now, I got some stuff to talk about the, the, the Bengals, but, but we're talking about the Browns right now. And those are the three things I think they need to do to get moving forward for next year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, number one, they need COVID to go away. Because they're one of the, I think, worst teams that have been hit by COVID protocols the past two years. And obviously last year they still made the playoffs. They moved past the first round. But this year they've just been decimated with people in and out with COVID. And then I think the second thing they need to do is Kevin Stefanski needs to figure out how to use his weapons a little bit better. They can only you can only run the ball so much until everybody figures out that you're just not going to pass it and if they make you pass the ball you don't have anything to beat them and it's not necessarily I don't think 100% on Baker but he is a big problem in that and I think part of that is he needs to get healthy so my third thing is Baker Mayfield needs to get healthy and he needs to stay healthy and he needs a real opportunity to kind of go out there and prove that he can be a productive starter in this league for years to come. So, but I, like I said, I think that all starts with COVID needs to go away for them. And I, I don't know if, if we're going to see that, you know, in the next year, I, I hope, I hope for society, I hope for, you know, everybody that we kind of do see it die down, but that is, that is their biggest thing they're kind of battling right now. And then I guess the fourth thing is I'll agree with you. Yeah, they don't consistently beat their division rivals. When you look at teams that have consistently won that division, and you can probably only say the two of them, it's going to be the Ravens and the Steelers. What do they do? They consistently beat their division rivals. The Steelers consistently beat the Browns and the Bengals. Same with the Ravens. And then whoever wins that division between the two, they beat each other. So I think that that's something that they need to do. And because they, they can lose to, you know, teams like the Chiefs or the Bills, you know, obviously teams that are good competition but they need to beat the people in their division in order to win that division so that they can move on did you have something you wanted to say on it well so in the event of a tie between the browns and the Bengals of both nine and eight the browns would own the tiebreaker of having swept the season series should there be a three should there be a three-way should there be a three-way tie between the browns Bengals, and ravens the tiebreaker would go who has the best overall record against the other two teams the browns would be three and one the Bengals would be two and two and the ravens would be one and three with one loss so statistically the browns still have the opportunity even going nine and eight to make the playoffs and beat out the Bengals. 
Yeah, no, I, I fully understand that each team in that division has a chance to make the playoffs, which is crazy because I don't know I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I know there's been conversations had that, you know, some people say this is the best division in football. And some people will say, oh, wow, we just have an NFC East again. You know, we have the Cowboys and the Eagles and Washington and the Giants where they just they're not very good teams and they beat up on each other. So I don't know where we're at with this. I, I, I think it's leaning more towards NFC East than it is. They're just that good. But I do think that I, I just don't see the Browns winning both games or tying or whatever it is to make it into the playoffs and maybe they'll prove me wrong they can but I think that at this point they need to start figuring out what to do in order to get back the playoffs like they were last year without going through another like what 20-year drought so but to go back down to Cincinnati and talk about the Bengals obviously the Bengals are leading the division right now and i kind of wanted to get Greg's opinion on if the Bengals are ready to be a consistent, you know, team for the playoffs, or is this just another blip year for them where they're like, they're playing pretty well. And then, you know, for the next 10 years, we'll just see an average Bengals team where occasionally they compete for the division. Most of the time, they're just around third or fourth. What do you think, Greg? I think the Bengals, again, I use the word statistically a lot have aligned themselves more in a route to which they will be better team consistently over the next four to five seasons than any of the other teams in the grouping. Obviously we've got big Ben going out and there's a lot of different aspects of who's going to step up to be quarterback. So that kind of falls by the wayside. You've got the Ravens and honestly, Lamar Jackson does not impress me at all. You in this year, especially you've seen, what you've seen with him, it's great one day and, and bad the next. And I honestly, I think he's on a slight decline. I don't know if, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's a slight decline in the Ravens. And then you look at the Browns and we t- just talked about them, but Baker's inconsistent. Uh, obviously their offense and their defense can't get on the same page a lot. But when you look at the Bengals as a cons- consistent aspect with their drafting and everything else, they seem to be a on a trajectory that I feel is going to only go up and not any sideways or down. You, you've got uh, Jamar Chase with 1,163 yards, Joe Burrow with 4,065 yards, and uh, Joe Mixon with 1,159 yards. This is the first time in NFL history that you've had two over 1,000 yards and a QB with over 4,000 yards under the age of 25, ever. It's never happened before. So just to have that caliber of offense on what you've got, and they're under 25, so these are kids right now. You give them another four or five years in the league, they're going to be dangerous, bro. They're going to be dangerous. No, I I hate to say it, but I I 100% agree with you on this. I think that – I think this year might be a stretch asking them to win the Super Bowl. Um, obviously anything is possible. We've seen anything happen. We've seen an eight and eight Giants team win the Super Bowl against an undefeated Patriots team. So anything is possible. But I agree with you that over the next five years, I think that they they run this division. I think that when you look at the Steelers, they're gonna have to find a replacement at quarterback. And unless a miracle happens where like Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins figure out how to be a franchise quarterback, or they draft a guy that can just come in day one and take over the team like nothing happened, and they fix that offensive line, then I just don't see them competing for that division for the next two or three years. 
And then I do see the Ravens hanging around just because Harbaugh is that good of a coach. I think he's on the same level caliber as, as you know, a lot of the, the premier coaches in the league. And even though Lamar Jackson hasn't looked as good this year, I think that he he'll be good enough in order to win games for them. I think that they have to figure out that passing game a little bit, whether that's on him or whether that's on play calling, because Marquise Brown is, is that dude. I think when he's used properly, he could be like a, you know, as productive as a Tyreek Hill because he's fast on that stand. And then when you look at the Browns, it's unfortunately, I don't want to be, it's just the, the culture that's set around there. Like people are like, we're okay with where we're at right now because hopefully next year we'll be back in it. And it's that next year mentality. So I'm hoping that, you know, the Browns kind of come back. And like I said, uh, the three things that have been ailing them for me, I hope that they figure that out. But I don't know. I mean, we've we've seen them kind of go back and forth, and I don't know if they're ready to be consistent yet. But I know Kevin Stefanski is a really good coach, and he'll figure it out. But like I said, I think the Bengals are ready to go, ready to be there. And I think that offense is going to be at a level almost kind of like what we saw with the Steelers with Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown for that, like, five or six years that we got that, I think that we could see that with Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, and Joe Burrow. But yeah, I don't know. It's also another one of those things. It is the Bengals, and we kind of did see them for almost 20 years, kind of just ride that mediocrity train. So I would like to see it too before I kind of pronounce it, but I think their trajectory is, is moving upwards. Anything else to add before we move on? Well, a little bit of like you're talking about culture and what you just said. And then I kind of think back to this COVID and how they're having the the most COVID breakouts and the most, and, and a little bit that, and I'm not saying that Stefanski is a bad coach. I've consistently put him in my top five of, of coaches in the NFL right now, but there might be a little bit of culture issue going on with people not following the COVID protocols. And that kind of shows in, in how they're playing. And if, if you're not making all the efforts to follow the rules that you should, and maybe you're also not making the efforts that you should on the field. And so that's just my two cents. I might be completely off base. Well, uh, when you, when you said, when you said culture, it kind of threw that little, that knowledge bubble in me of like, maybe that could be something. I don't know. No. And, I, and you know, I think the culture is shifting from we're, we're okay being 500 to I think this year they were like, oh, wow, we got a squad. Like, look at us on paper. Like, we're going to be, we're going to be nice. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but they, but they really weren't, you know what I mean? And like, you kept looking at them during the season and they, they, they would get a win and you're like, okay. And then they would lose and you're like, all right, but they'd lose bad or they'd lose a close game. And you could be like, well, you know, the defense didn't do enough or Baker didn't do enough. And this thing started piling on top of it. And I, you know, I don't think they had as big as an implosion as when you go back to the, what the Eagles roster was all those years ago, when you looked at on paper and you were like, this is the greatest team ever. And they just flopped hard that season. But I, I do, I do hope that they kind of, they don't go to that, you know, trajectory of that culture that they develop where they're like, yo, we're good. No matter what we can go and beat anybody. It doesn't matter. They, they need to be able to grab their lunch pails, go to work, and play hard and win games because in that division you're not, especially in that division, you're, you're playing every single week is going to be a hard game. It doesn't matter whether the Steelers trot out Mason Rudolph or a six round draft pick, you know, same with the Ravens, same with the Bengals. That's going to be a hard game. That's going to be a hard fought divisional game. And they, they need to kind of get back to that mindset of like, we just need to go grind and work. And I don't know, but they're opening it up for the Bengals to be the future of that division. You know what I mean? I thought the Browns and the Bengals would battle each other for a couple of years like the Steelers and Ravens did. 
Um, Cause I kind of saw the same thing that you did maybe with Lamar is that he just wasn't as electric as he had been, but I think the Browns are opening up for the Bengals just to have their free reign in the division for a couple of years. So We'll have to see what happens. I mean, every year is a different year. And like I said, that's one of the, that is uh, one of the hardest divisions to play. And I think just the way the, uh, the coaching staffs and, and the players have been throughout the year. So, all righty. Now we're going to kind of move North a little bit to Columbus and talk a little bit of hockey with the blue jackets. Obviously we haven't had a blue jackets game in a little while because they did stop play by themselves due to a lot of positive tests due to COVID, but then the NHL as a whole halted all games because of the same thing across the whole league. So I did kind of want to get Greg's quick opinion on if he thought the stoppage of play affected the momentum of this team, you know, the momentum of kind of what they were building this season. Obviously, I don't think that they're, you know, atop the standings, but they were putting a really good season together, um, you know, even with how young they are and with the, you know, mass exodus of talent that people thought that left the team in the offseason. So what do you think, Greg? Well, I think stoppage is going to affect anybody's momentum, and I think that's Mm -hmm. going to be a league-wide problem. What I would like to know is that if they're still able to hold team workouts and team, you know what I mean, meetings and stuff like that, because that could have a lot of effect on what uh, the cohesiveness of of the Blue Jackets and and just the the game plan and, and working, you know, hard on their line rotations and stuff like that. So... I think it's, again, like I said, it's going to affect any team league-wide to have a stoppage of play in the middle of, of, you know, doing good, doing bad. So we'll see how they all come out on this. It's definitely a detriment. Yeah, it's definitely going to be hard for each team. And to kind of go with your point of, you know, them being able to practice together, I think they did resume practice yesterday. That was the plan. Um, I think they were like six or seven days you know, away from each other. I think they kind of just tried to quarantine. And then uh, once everybody was almost pretty much testing negative, they were trying to get everybody back in the building in order to kind of get ready for whenever they felt ready to play their next game or whenever the NHL would uh, kind of resume play. So, yeah, that's that's going to be kind of hard. But I guess when you look at it, everybody's pretty much on the same playing field because they did halt it for everybody. So maybe it doesn't hurt the momentum too much. Maybe they kind of pick back up. But I do think it'll affect it a little bit because you kind of lost, you know, a week, maybe even two weeks of kind of training and preparation and growing and stuff like that. But we'll kind of see going forward. Like I said, they were having a really good season, a lot better than what all of us thought and uh, kind of exciting everybody here in Ohio who are Blue Jackets fans. So we are going to finish off back up in Cleveland with the Cavaliers. We're going to have, I think, the most topics um, are going to go towards the Cavaliers in this episode. Um, I did want to hit really quick on the devastating injury to Ricky Rubio, obviously a guy who has been coming off the bench for us and, you know, leading that second unit. Um, I think he has the second most assists on the team with like 6.6. And I think that injury is going to be super devastating for that roster. What do you think, Greg? I mean, yeah, any, any injury, especially a guy of that caliber is going to affect. Let's just see what the bench can step up and, and, see if, if some other players can step into those roles, make it out of there. I th- definitely think that this affects their playoff chances a little bit, but a great deal. We'll see. Yeah, Sexton's going to have to really step up and, and start passing the rock a little bit. I mean, obviously, Ricky Rubio added a different kind of energy and a different kind of veteran presence to that team. And an ACL tear for anybody, especially someone of his age, that's uh, that's really hard to kind of bounce back from. So, But 
obviously medicine is a lot different than, than what it was 10, 15 years ago. And I'm sure he'll be back next year, ready to uh, get back at it. But I don't want to talk about this topic next, but it has been in the news since the off season. And now that we kind of come closer to the trade deadline and, you know, Ben Simmons name keeps get keeps getting floated around as, you know, a potential trade to the Cavaliers. So I don't, I don't want to ask the question, should they trade for Ben Simmons? I want to know, will the Cavs really trade for Ben Simmons? We've seen them do some, some crazy things in the past, whether that was with the Kyrie trade or, or anything else. Do you think this is the same Cavs of old and they bring in Ben Simmons? Or do you think they make a, a better, smarter decision here? This is, a, this is an interesting question. I think Ben Simmons is a subpar basketball player at best. He's had flashes of brilliance, but his so there's a phrase in baseball called getting the yips, where a baseball player basically can be still amazing batting wise, but as far as his hand eye coordination, throwing the baseball, they can't seem to be able to throw the baseball in the direct line to the, the base pass. And with Ben Simmons, I think maybe he's got a case of the yips, and I, he just doesn't seem like he knows how to shoot the basketball anymore. And he's had flashes of brilliance, and and I, you know he's an all star for a reason. If the good Ben Simmons comes out, I think he's a great fit for the Cavs, and I think that the Cavs should make a deal. But I don't think that they have enough on their roster to make it attractive enough for just it to be a Cavs Sixers trade. You know, even stuff like Darius Garland or Evan Mobley, they're good, but they're not. They're not stand out of the, what they want in, in a return for giving them Ben Simmons. So I think it's going to have to be, you know, a two team, three team, four team trade where you've got a lot of different people moving around that gets, gets a couple things going to get some pieces working to where it would make it, you know, I don't say financially viable for the Sixers, but you know, Sexton is a name that's been mentioned as an attractive asset in return for him. But I don't know if that's going to help them in in the short term. So I don't I, I don't know. I think it's a good fit, but I just don't see it happening unless a lot of other teams are involved. Yeah, it would only be a good fit if he played power for. I just I don't think playing point guard point guard would make much sense for him. Um, I know he can pass the ball, but like you said, he just doesn't. I don't even. It's not even that he can't shoot because you see all these videos of him in practice or warm ups or you know five on fives and he's shooting the ball all the time but he just won't shoot in games. I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's, you know, the yips, like you said, or he just doesn't care. I, I don't know. I get, I get very much Andrew Wiggins vibes with him that he just doesn't care. He's just out there to play good enough to get, you know, some money. And then he's just going to kind of ride the mediocrity until the money runs out. But I do think if they bring him over and put him in that power forward spot where he kind of just back to the basket gets rebounds and, and bodies people, then I guess maybe, but I don't know. I don't think it's a good fit. Will they trade for him? You have to look at what, you know, the owner wants. The owner wants butts in seats. You know, that's why he gave Kevin Love the deal that he did because at the time Kevin Love was the only quote unquote all-star that was left on the team. And he thought, you know, that was, that's what was going to put butts in seats. So, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, if they think bringing Ben Simmons over is going to, you know, excite fans to come to games, then then they'll do that. But I don't think he will. So I don't think that they'll trade for him because of everything that's, you know, kind of surrounding him and 
I don't think people, like you said, like you said it, people don't view him as really a top talent in the league because he doesn't play half of the game. Like <laughs> you can't, you can't play basketball and not shoot. Like even, even if you're bad at it, you still have to shoot it. You know what I mean? Look at someone like what, like Russell Westbrook, like he's really not that good of a shooter, but at least he still shoots. You know what I mean? Like Ben Simmons is not Shaquille O'Neal. He can't just body anybody in the league and the league's not really like that anymore. Even the big men in the league have to be able to shoot a little. Bit. So, I don't know. Like I said, will they trade for him? I don't think so because I don't think people are going to want to come to the games to watch him. I think they'd rather come watch the guys that we have. But they've done some crazy things in the past. So, I don't know. <laughs> but to kind of move on to the last topic, um, the trade deadline is coming up. And instead of who would we like to see go, I just kind of want to get your opinion on who you'd hate to see with the trade deadline at this point. I know this is going to piss you off a little bit. And I know we've thrown a lot of shade at him and we wanted to trade him for a Coke can and a bag of chips. <laughs> a dollar. But I, a dollar, yeah. But I think Kevin Love right now is, is stepping into this role that I I really see him progressing and developing. And and I, I've, I've just liked his play so far and I, I think that getting rid of somebody like him would would be a negative asset to the team at this point in time and I know we've thrown so much at him that's where I'm kind of yeah he's he's no longer um addition by subtraction I think I, I think that his veteran presence alongside Ricky Rubio has really helped these young guys play at a higher level you know what I mean, like I said, obviously the injury to, to Rubio is, is devastating, I think, for that team. I still think that, you know, they have a good chance to at least make the play in, if not the playoffs in general. But I think that his veteran presence and in, in the way that he's been playing, like you said, and the way that he's been pushing the guys in front of him, the young guys, I think that he's really taken that role of like, I'm going to be the vet. I'm going to, you know, help these young guys. I'm going to play my role and do what I can to help us win. And I would kind of hate to see him to him. I would kind of hate to see him go. So, and then obviously I'd hate to see Garland and Allen and Mobley go. I think those are guys that should stay. Um, I think the only guys that you should really be maybe even seeing move the trade deadline is maybe Sexton or Marketing. But I and think you just brought in Marketing and you're not going to get rid of him that quickly. If you put too many, too much asset into him. No, You're not I mean, going to get rid of Mobley just because he's, you don't know what he's got yet because he's oh, you know, no, a rookie. He's saying so. for sure. No, I mean, I'm just – I think, like, Sexton, I think they're deciding whether or not they want to pay him, and I think that they have what they want in Garland and a guard. He can do – you know, he can pass, he can shoot, drive to the – drive the lane. Like, he can do all those kinds of things. I just think that, if anything, I don't think they should send anybody out. I think they should bring in another veteran presence at point guard. Um, just because, like I said, that loss of Ricky Rubio is going to be tough. But yeah, I, I think they keep the team together. I think they keep developing. I think they play it smart. I think a lot of teams want to be good right now. And I think that the trajectory that they're going is that if they keep developing, we could really see them being a team that could compete consistently for the top of the East in maybe the next couple of years. You know what I mean? I think that that Allen and Garland, those guys are going to be really good here soon. And I think Mobley is going to be a really good, you know, centerpiece as well. And then you add the guys around them and Markinen and Sexton, even Kevin Love, um, even Taco Falls when he plays. But I think that those guys, that guy, 
I would hate to see him go at the trade deadline too, because I think he brings such an energy and and he's a lot better than I think people give him credit for. Obviously, he's really tall and lanky, and I don't think he's all that athletic, but it's fun to watch him dunk the ball because he kind of just <laughs> he's a good guy. So, but let us know what you guys think. You know, who who would you hate to see go at the trade trade deadline? Who would you love to see go at the trade deadline? I think this is probably one of the more interesting things in professional sports in Ohio right now is you know, the Cavs, because they are, they are one of the better teams in the East as of right now. I think, I think you could say they're, they're a top six team. Um, obviously Rubio's injury hurts, but I still think that they're going to be in, in a really hard out in the playoffs for anybody in that first round and maybe even the second round if they can make it. So, but to finish off the episode, we are going to go into our double take segment. I'm going to let Greg start off the segment with one thing he thinks will happen in the sporting world over the next two weeks. Well, again, I, I kind of jump a little bit over two weeks and last particular thing, and I'm kind of doing it this time, but kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the NHL and COVID and the NHL pulling out of the Olympics and pulling out a lot of their players out of the Olympics. And I think that with the Olympics looming in about 40 days or so, um, 45 days, I think that you're going to see the Winter Olympics hit greatly uh, with this COVID spike and a lot of athletes and stuff like that are going to be pulling out of this particular one. And I'm not necessarily saying they're going to cancel Winter Olympics, but I think that there are going to be a lot of that are opting out of joining those Winter Olympics. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this, not to get too deep into it, but this strain is is hitting everybody. So everybody be safe, wash your hands, keep your distance. I don't want to get too political about it, but stay safe, stay healthy. Um, But my one thing that I think will happen in the sporting world over the next two weeks, is I believe we have the first playoff games on Saturday, and then the next one is played on 11th, I believe, or it's supposed to be. So I think in the next two weeks we'll get both. And I'm going to go bold here, only because I want it to happen. But... I think Cincinnati wins the national championship over Greg's pick, Michigan. And I think they win it by a late field goal. I think that's what we're going to – the next time that we meet, we're going to have a big, fun conversation about Cincinnati being the national champion and what that means for them next, just hopefully putting that into the Unibail. There, there could, be, <laughs> it could be a wager involved. I don't know. I mean, uh, we're talking about maybe Nickel have to uh, – do his sports rundown in a, a duck voice on like that I, mean, is... <laughs> I don't know we'll we'll see we'll see oh, maybe maybe we'll do it off screen and then uh we'll talk about it when we get back <laughs> i know i know dom and i made a wager for uh the premier league if west ham wins we have to buy west ham jerseys so um maybe we'll do something something similar but yeah i, I just i i have this weird feeling that they're gonna go on a crazy run and they're going to be the feel-good story of the year, and um, I don't know. I, that's what I'm hoping for. Obviously, it's going to be a tough a tough battle for them, but but that's what I'm hoping for. So to finish it off, I'm going to let Greg go first. And what is one crazy thing that you saw, heard about, or happened to you over the past two weeks? Well, I love the holidays, and I love Frosty the Snowman. It's one of my favorite songs and, you know, animated things that are going on. But have you ever heard of Frosty the Dough Man? No. (laughs) 
Well, a Pittsburgh area bakery unveiled Frosty the Dough Man, a seven foot tall snowman sculpture made out of bread. The Mancini Bakery, which celebrated Christmas in 2020 with an eight foot tall bread Christmas tree, said this year's bread sculpture stands seven feet tall and weighs about 200 pounds. It took about seven workers to lift Frosty the Dough Man in and out of the oven. And the snowman likeness was sculpted out of Italian rolls and twists. They voted on it. They put a little Facebook poll out there and uh, the snowman won the contest vote and beat out the Guinness world record beating bread Christmas tree. So, you know, they, they could have, could have gone big and they decided not to, cause they didn't want to beat their Christmas tree from 2020. And uh, yeah. the, the dough man will be on display at McKee's rocks location throughout the holidays. But the smaller version we displayed in the store in Pittsburgh strip this frosty, the dough man. Okay. I wonder. Wow. So is that is nobody's going to eat it? They're just going to let it sit there? It gets stale pretty quickly. Yeah, that's rough. See, it would be really cool if they made it, did the competition, and then everybody could eat I don't know. That's kind of a waste of dough. But, I mean, it's still cool. I like it. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a cartoon about Frosty the Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine is not as, like, you know, Christmassy and, and, uh, and I guess, funny as a, as a dough man. But at work the other day, I saw this Chucky doll that was wearing a bangles and it creeped me out so <laughs> if you listen to this podcast and you're the person with the the chucky doll wearing the bangles uniform wow that that was weird i i think we were all looking at that thing and we were like why i i, I can't even i don't even know if i can think of anything more bangles fan than a chucky doll wearing a bangles uniform but that's that's pretty close i don't know he even had the knife and everything it was just weird that was that was that was probably the weirdest thing that I've seen in a while. <laughs> I mean, Chucky's got to be a fan of somebody. Why not the Bengals? And you know what? Maybe he's just a really big, he did have a Joe Burrow jersey on and Joe Burrow is that dude. So, you know, maybe Chucky knows his football. Maybe we have Chucky on two minute drill at some point, or maybe even Ohio verse. He can give us, you know, his thoughts on the future of the Cincinnati Bengals. But I don't know if we want that juju around. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, uh, that, that, that was some worship worshiping stuff that we don't want to talk about here so let's let's move on from that yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway thank you guys again for listening to another episode of ohio verse we have so much fun doing this show and i think we're gonna have a little bit of a lull i think we're gonna kind of we're a little bit off track for our normal um posting time anyway but next week i guess another fun thing that's going to happen is I, I do get married so I will, we will not be doing the show um, probably regularly, but hopefully, you know, after the national championship, we'll come back on and talk about Cincinnati winning against Michigan. So thank you guys for listening and let us know if there's anything that um, we don't talk about in Ohio regarding sports and uh, we'll kind of hit that topic for you. So again, as always, we are Ohioverse. This was Deep Dive Sports and until next time. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sport on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for any update. And please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next. As always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.